0: So this morning we uh, come to a close on our series, Knowing God, and especially the attributes of God, by focusing on the glory of God. The title of the message, we could call To God Be the Glory, and it reminds us of the great hymn that Fanny Crosby wrote back in in 1870, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Hath Done. A few uh, weeks ago, I introduced you when we were looking at the faithfulness of God. We are looking at Lamentations 3 and reminded of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and how that hymn was written kind of tucked away and no one knew it, and then uh, George Beverly Shea got a hold of it, and then he sang it at every Graham crusade from that day onward, and it became one of the favorites of God's people. Well, there's a similar thread woven here uh, in that it wasn't George Beverly Shea, but it was Cliff Barrows who used to lead the singing at the Crusades. And then when he came across this hymn, To God Be the Glory, they sang it at every crusade uh, from that day uh, onward because of its great message. I mentioned my childhood just a minute ago, but uh, part of that was from 1948 to 57 goes back a few years, I understand, but I attended, uh, I would say sporadically would be the correct word, the United Presbyterian Church outside of Pittsburgh in Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And it was there I became first familiar with what they call the Westminster Confession of Faith. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So much is said in just that little pithy sentence. The ultimate goal of everyone and everything in the universe from beginning to end is to know, seek, and then show forth the glory of God. So that begs forth the question, because we've all heard many verses and statements on the glory of God, all sin did come short of the glory of God. And it begs the question, just what is the glory of God? Almost impossible to put into a sentence. But I've taken a few thoughts from a lot of different writers that I greatly respect. And I came up with this. The glory of God is the essence of his nature, the radiance of his intrinsic worth, and the sum total of all his attributes and graces i don't want you to think of the glory of god as something god possesses like god's house or god's temple uh, because that doesn't really do it justice but i want you to think of the radiance and the worth and beauty of our great god himself now let's take a snapshot and look first at the picture of the glory of god and understand just from the basic words Uh, what is involved in this matter of knowing and hoping uh, that the glory of God is revealed through us. We talk first about the inherent glory, and we go back to the Old Testament to the Hebrew, And to the word "kabad," which basically means uh, weight, and then it came to mean a very heavy weightiness, and then through uh, time it came to mean of weightiness in terms of value, and thus we come up with the glory of God, which especially in the Old Testament emphasizes the outward manifestation of God's presence, radiance, and power. Now, similar to that, but also a little bit different from that, when we come to the New Testament, there's the noun doxa. Now, probably some of you who were raised in a little bit in a church a few years ago, you used to sing what? The doxology and um, that had all glory uh, to God was the idea. It came from the uh, verb, which means to think or to have an opinion, and then like the Hebrew word kabod, it had a little evolution to it, and then it came uh, to mean the great uh, sense of what God's worth is, and so we call that uh, uh, the, the glory, or you know, when we refer to God himself, the king of glory. No individual has any inherent glory in him whatsoever. But God's glory is inherent. It's the sum total of all that God uh, is and his glory can never be taken away. And it cannot be added to as well. So we say only God is truly glorious. Then we come to the second aspect of glory, which I simply call imputed glory, and more often it's referred to as ascribed glory. And we read about it in Psalm 29, where the psalmist says in verses 1 and 2, "'Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness.'" I think what the psalmist is telling us here is that we are to acknowledge his glory through our lives and through our lips so that others around us, that we would say in the world, get a better picture of who God is. We need to understand also that God will not give his glory away. He will not share it with anyone in any sense. In Isaiah 48, 11, we read, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Now, throughout human history, going back to creation, God manifested his glory in various settings and in various manners. This, in and of itself, uh, could take a long, long series of messages, but we want to just, again, take a snapshot this morning in summary and say that we know, first of all, that God revealed himself and his glory in the Garden of Eden when he created man, yes, for his glory. We know the story, we know the fall of man, how our first parents, Adam and Eve, how they sinned. And then Genesis 3, 8 uh, has this little a few words to say when God is looking for Adam and Eve, the ones he created for his glory. And it says that Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now when you see that little phrase in the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord, the presence of God, it's another way of saying his glory. And in the Old Testament, it's often called the Shekinah glory. And more often than not, it was an outward manifestation of display that others could actually see and gaze upon. And so God is always asking his people to give him glory. What did he ask of Adam and Eve? That they would obey him, acknowledge his glory, and give him glory. But we know the story, how that man sinned. As a result of their sin, it was passed down through the ages so that Romans 5.12 would say, even by the first man that sinned, so we've all sinned. And then he goes on to say, and come short of the glory of God. I think Romans 8, 1.18 to 32 explains it all. But just taking again one little phrase, when it says, when they knew God, uh, is it fair to say that probably no one knew God more intimately than Adam and Eve did in their innocence when they were created? When they knew God, it says, they glorified him not as God, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And then it says, God turned man over to his sin because he refused to give him glory. It all goes back in the Garden of Eden. It goes back to our first parents. Now we advance a few years in our timetable and we come to Moses. Israel, God's people that God wanted them to give him glory had refused that as well. They were in bondage in Egypt and God says, now I want to, by my grace, deliver my people out of bondage. And so he looks for a servant and he decides Moses is going to be that one. Moses wants to know who's going to go with him for this task. He basically says, if you don't go before me, I'm not going. I mean, that's basically the bottom line. If you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. By the way, it's a pretty good thing to say in life, right? Lord, if you're not going before me, and if you're not directing me, and if you're not blessing me as I go in your will, I don't want to go there. And that's basically what Moses said. And so God says in Exodus 33:14, 14, my presence, now there we go again, the presence of God, the glory, the Shekinah of glory. He says, my presence will go with you. And so God tells Moses this. He says, if I really revealed my glory, you would be smitten dead right away. No one could look upon my face in the full glory of God without being uh, smitten and struck dead. But he says, I'm going to give you a little glimpse of my glory. And he told Moses to hide in the cleft of the rock. Remember the song we used to sing? He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. That's where it comes from. And he says, if you behold my glory in its fullness, you would die, but I'm going to give you a glimpse of it as I pass by. And he did. And what was Moses' response? Exodus 34, says, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped God. Isn't that beautiful? It ought to be the expression and the reaction of every one of us when we come into a sense of God revealing his personhood to us, his glory to us. The immediate reaction should be to fall on our knees uh, knees or prostrate on the floor and give him glory and worship him. So God reveals a certain um, burst of his glory through Moses calling the disobedient children back to his side. And what's the message? Recognize my glory. Bow to my glory. But Israel continued to reject it. So we go to another means where God revealed his glory. It's called the tabernacle built in the wilderness. And it was God's presence, his Shekinah glory, that was over the holiest of holies there in the tabernacle out in the wilderness. God said as it were, I'll send my glory again. And what did he do? In his graciousness, long suffering, and love for his people, he gave a pillar of cloud by day and a pill- pillar of fire by night. And therein was God's presence, his glory with him. 24 hours a day. And God said to Israel, as it were, day and night, day and night, week after week, do you see my glory? Do you see my glory? And all the while, the only thing they did was gripe, complain, and murmur against God, and the whole generation died in the wilderness. The wages of sin is death. We often apply that in terms of the plan of salvation and well, we ought. But it's true in every aspect. Wherever there is sin, there is death and separation. I guarantee you this, if you are having conflicts in your marriage, I promise you, someone's not giving glory to God. If there's a conflict of parents and children, somebody's not giving glory. It goes in every relationship, in our family, in a church, in the world, in nations, if there's conflict, God, the God of peace, someone's not giving God the glory. So what's the answer to your conflict? It's that people might see the glory of God and bow to it. It's all around us. Israel didn't give God the glory. Now we go another few years. This time they're in the land God promised them. They have the holy city of Jerusalem. They have the house of God called Solomon's Temple where the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God, 1 Kings eight ten. Israel continues sinning against God and would not give him glory. And all you have to do is just read, well, even just Ezekiel 8 to 10. But if you read the first seven chapters, you get the whole flow of how God in his glory reveals it to Israel, and they just keep on sinning, and they keep on rebelling. And then that glory of God that's over the holiest of holies in the temple, the glorious temple of Solomon there, is seen as going up from the holy of holies and it's hovering over that temple. Then it starts moving across the Kidron Brook, up the garden, over the Mount of Olives until it disappears. Ezekiel says as a word, write the word Ichabod, over. What's Ichabod mean? The glory of the Lord has uh, departed. God's glory came in the garden. Men refused it. God's glory shone in the face of a man. Moses, they refused it. God's glory in the tabernacle. God's glory at the temple. And they kept on refusing it. And then all of a sudden we know the glory returned about 500 years later. After it had departed, it came back. God is always faithful. God is always long-suffering. God is always loving. This time the glory came back, and it came back in the form of a person, the glory of God in a body. In John 1, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and the Word became flesh, verse 14. And he dwelt among us. Now the glory of God is dwelling among us. Not just over a temple or a tabernacle or on the face of a person. Now the glory of the Lord is actually in, inside and in, in, in a person. And that person, of course, is the Lord Jesus. He became flesh, he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we advance just a few years after that glorious entrance on Bethlehem's uh, hills when the glory of God came down and took on human flesh. Now we go a few years, now we see Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He introduces Elijah and Moses to three of his disciples, John, Peter, and John. And then Luke 9 says this, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white he appeared in glory, and he spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The glory of God is back. It's in a person. He walked among men. From time to time, he showed forth his glory, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he gave him a little sermon. What was that Jesus shared with them? That the glory of God would be nailed to a cross. Says he talk to them about his departure. And once again, God is asking, will you give me glory? Will you give me glory? And he even spoke out from heaven a few different times, selectively. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. Give him glory. That's the voice from creation Right up until the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, man will not give him glory. So they took the glory of God and they nailed him to an old Roman cross there at Golgotha. Someday the glory will return. And just as the glory of God departed over the Mount of Olives, the glory of God's gonna come back to the same Mount of Olives. And the glory of God is going to light right there on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14.4. And he's going to go on down that slope, and he's going to go past the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to cross the Kidron Brook. Then he's going to go up, and he's going to go right through that eastern gate. And he's going to go in the temple of God. And he's going to set up his throne there in Jerusalem. Matthew puts it this way, the words of Jesus. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven. It's easy to read those verses over. And yet not getting the weight of it. What he's basically saying is God's turning all the lights out. The sun, the moon, the stars, no more light. Utter darkness just covers the whole earth. And then he says, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What a terrifying scene. It's like God is, is taking the earth and he's shaking it. And it's all dark. Everything's falling apart. You've seen devastating earthquakes. Those are nothing compared to God is shaking the earth. No wonder it says that men are crying out for the rocks to fall upon them. And then it says, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The glory of God returns. He alone is the King of glory and worthy of all that we are and ever hope to be. Let me go now and transition into what God is doing today. To summarize it, he's calling another people together from all the nations of the world. It's called the church, the body of Christ. And just like the holy temple of the old where he indwelt it, except now you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to it later, but The verse of 2 Corinthians 3 says it so well. We all, that's us, with unveiled face, contrasting it with Moses. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Now you become the instrument by which the glory of God is revealed. From glory to glory, he continues to reveal his personhood and glory through you and me. Let me give you just a few points here about the practice of glorifying God. How does it happen? Number one, I said by offering praise and thanksgiving. Why is this so important? Because every time I lift my heart in praise to the Lord and thank him for what he has done, that brings glory to the name of God. God is pleased with that. Listen to the psalm. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works and for the children of men. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Paul then just wraps it kind of all up. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why does Paul mention eating and drinking? I mean, we do more of both than we probably should, I guess. I don't know. But most of us do it three times a day. But why eating and drinking? Because it's the most mundane thing of life. That's why. We all do it. We do it every day. It's just something we take for granted. And that's the very point, I think, that is being made here. Because while they are the most mundane, necessary things of life, Paul's saying, with those as well and everything else. May it be done to the glory of God. That's the bottom line in our living, isn't it? Are you a praise offering person? Are you a thankful person? Secondly, he says, by confessing our sins. Remember when Joshua confronted Achan After the battle of Ai, and then Joshua 719, it says this. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel. Give praise to him. Tell me now, now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Do you realize every time you humble yourself before God and confess your sins, he is glorified? Do you realize when you have wronged another person, you've gossiped or you've slandered or whatever, do you realize every time you come and say, you know, I was wrong, would you forgive me? Do you realize God is glorified, but you know what we normally do? We do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We run and we hide, and then we cover it up. But covering up our sins doesn't do away with our sins. It just postpones its revelation, its manifestation. Christians are notorious for having a secret sin life. They're notorious for taking their lives and segregating it into pieces of pie. And This is my secret sin life over here. You don't glorify God, but as you do, then his attributes are on display. Why? Because you're showing God as a trustworthy, a faithful, a loving, a God of mercy and grace who gladly forgives you your sins shows his omnipotence, his omnipresence, everything, his holiness, his justice, his love, his grace, his mercy, and God is glorified. There's a third way by witnessing for Christ. Once we come to Christ, he doesn't want us to keep his saving knowledge as a secret. He gives us the great privilege of sharing his glory saying often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi are the words, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. That's about as stupid as you get. You know what's funny? Is he never said it. But some dimwit said he did say it and he passed it all and everyone else just took it and said he must have said it. If you search any of his writings, you'll find he never said that. He was smarter than that. Dwayne Lifton said it right. President Emeritus of Wheaton College says it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. Now I understand that our life had surely match up our words, right? We understand that. We understand it's a poor testament for a person to go out and and witness or or testify he's a Christian but then his life doesn't match anything up. But the life itself is not gonna win anyone to Christ. It's as simple as that. There's a lot of good people out there living good lives that know nothing of the gospel of Christ. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I understand what Bill Ma was saying up there. It's nice to have a certain day or a week or something like that you set about, say, we're gonna concentrate on this. But I'm thinking, isn't it a crying shame that we have to even think to say to the people of God that let's take a day out of the year and witness for Christ? Good grief allowed. I mean, every day of our life, every day of our life we ought to be speaking forth his glory. I'm not talking about hoodwinking or badgering people. I'm talking about just an honest declaration of a testimony of God. They're lost. They're desperately lost. And they need to hear the truth of the gospel. You older people can turn me off for a minute because I'm through with you for a few minutes. (laughs) But I want to talk to you young people just a second. Someday you're going to be an old man like me. Okay, And you're not going to have much time left. And you're going to know it. Now what you've got to ask yourself the question is, what do I want to take with me? And when you get to heaven, wouldn't it be wonderful to say, Lord, here am I and here are the children you have given me. Last Sunday morning in this service there, I looked out and I was surprised to see five people from the past. Husband and wife sitting over there, got his Ph.D. from Brandeis, missionaries to Turkey. Next to them, Michelle, missionary this church supports, Columbine, home on emergency leave for a father. Back there was Joe and Deborah. I'm going back 30 years with them. I saw every one of them come to the Lord and surrender to serve the Lord. I remember when Michelle was just a mixed-up teenager and how genuine her conversion was and how she laid hold of things right away. Now, what, 20 years in Senegal, Africa. That's payday. Okay, that's payday. Nothing compares to it. Invest your life in it. Keep casting your bread upon the waters. After a while, it brings back fruit. Keep sharing. We were down in the hospital yesterday. Just kept sharing. Nurses, just a good word, a kind word. Thank you for what you do. Nurse told me yesterday in the elderly, she said, no one's ever said that to me before. All need just a kind word. And if God gives you more to say or to leave, did it with the waitress at the Hearth and Kettle in Weymouth. Just share the word. Just tell you how to go to heaven someday. Oh, thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. I hope it's part of your life. By loving others, it's another way. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became part of the family of God. It's not a matter of just believing. It's a matter of belonging. We belong to one another. Jesus told his disciples that everyone else would know you're a follower because you have love one for another. Romans 15, seven, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There it is. So we glorify the Lord also by loving people and, and forgiving people. We're not a get even people. We don't get even, we don't hold bitterness, we don't hold grudges, we let it go. Nino was the, one of the first Bosnia Muslims who came to trust Christ back in the 90s, after the Bosnia, Croatian, and Serbian war and genocide massacre. I met him at Sarajevo Baptist Church. Our younger daughter was a missionary in Sarajevo. And Mir and I met him. And then I learned a story of how he came to faith in Christ. And Nino then was sent in the war along with his sons. And one of his sons was captured by the Croatians, and the father discovered the outcome of his son's imprisonment when the father received a package at his house. Inside, as he opened up the box, there was the decapitated head of his son. He went to the Bosnia prisoner of war camp. Everyone knew what happened. And he asked for a Croatian soldier. So they gave him a Croatian soldier, all bound, tied up. Everyone knew about Nino's son's death. Asking for a prisoner of war was not an unusual manner of retaliation at that time. Can you imagine what's going through the mind of the Croatian prisoner of war? Nino led him out into the deep woods. Nobody else, just Nino and the soldier. Everybody knew what was going to happen. The only question was how much suffering would be part of that Croatian soldier's life before he actually died. Nino took him out, took the knife out of his sheath, and he cut the cords. He set him free. He says, you go back and you tell your people, we're not murderers like your people are. And he forgave him. Think that made an impression? Fifthly, by suffering for Christ's sake, another way to glorify God. Here's a passage that really kind of exemplifies the shorter Westminster Catechism of Faith about the chief end of man is to glorify God and to join forever. Peter says, if you are insulted in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, glorify God. I love reading about men, women of the past and Samuel Rutherford has always been one of my favorites to read about. He was one of those Scottish coveners who stood firmly against the persecution that the King of England was waxing upon the evangelical faith in Scotland. Samuel was a gracious and a godly man with a vibrant testimony. He was placed into prison several times, but on his deathbed, he was summoned by the king to appear to London to answer charges of heresy. Samuel Rutherford sent back this message, and I quote, Go and tell your master that I have a summons from a higher court, and ere this message reaches him, I'll be where few kings or grateful ever come. He told the persons attending to him by his bedside, He says, I'm going to see the king of glory at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. At 5 a.m. the next morning, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I love his words on suffering. Listen to him. If your Lord, and he suffered greatly, if your Lord calls you to suffering, don't be dismayed, for he will provide a deeper portion of Christ in your suffering. The softest pill will be placed under your head though you must set your bare feet among the thorns. Do not be afraid at suffering for Christ, for he has a sweet peace for a sufferer. After Samuel died, there was a sweet, gentle, spiritual young woman, woman of God by the name of Ann cuzzy and she was a poet. And she got just totally immersed into Samuel's letters and his writings. And so she decided to take those writings and then using her own poetic images to reflect them in what we call hymns. Here are two verses, one of my favorite. I wish we could sing it sometime. I haven't it sung for years except as I've searched it on the internet. The sands of time are sinking. She, she's using Samuel's words but putting it in a poetical way as only some of you who understand poetry can grasp. Sands of time. Can't you just see the hourglass? Can't you just see the sand going from the top to the bottom? The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark has been the midnight. Maybe some of you are there. Maybe it's just awfully dark where you're sitting today. You've come in with a heavy heart. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but dayspring, that's a word for Christ, the morning star, but dayspring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There is an ocean fullness, his mercy does expand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. And someday, those of us, all of us who know him, will behold that glory in Emmanuel's land. Let me close the message. The price of glorifying God. Make no mistake, there's a price. But I'm here to tell you someone else paid the price. Jesus paid it all. All to him. I owe. When it comes to forgiveness of our sins and going to heaven and God being glorified, here are four simple points that probably every one of you could speak to. Number one, you were created for his glory. Every one of you you were created for his glory. Everything God created was for his glory. Revelation, John says, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That's why God brought creation into existence. The stars glorify God, stars don't rebel. Against God's glory. The earth itself doesn't rebel. The flowers don't rebel. Some of you love the world of flowers and you see their beauty and their fragrance and you enjoy them every day. They don't rebel against God's glory. The animal world doesn't rebel, doesn't curse God. And in all the world, in all of God's creation, think about this. Of everything he created, the two on the highest order were the angels and mankind. And guess what two rebelled? Those two right there. We will not give you the glory. That brings us down to my life and yours. Paul says all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. You have sinned, I have sinned, and come short of the glory. I don't think most of us even begin to think about how short we have come. I don't think most of us really understand the depth of our, my depravity, my filthiness, my so unlike Godness. Three, Christ died for all those sins and ungodliness to the glory of God. So it's the cross hours away. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus said, and watch I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, God speaking again. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Indeed he did. For if you believe on Christ and trust him as Savior, then your life will glorify God. Revelation fourteen seven says, and he said with a loud voice, fear God. This is God's message to every person here, to every person in the world. Fear God and give him the glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. If you've never done that and you've never become a Christian, a born again Christian, forgiven, saved, knowing you're going to heaven, born again, I invite you at this moment, it the chair in which you're sitting, to trust Christ alone as your Savior and give God the glory that begins you on this spiritual journey of becoming more like Christ. And if you are a Christian, if you've never yielded yourself to the lordship of Christ, if you never said, Lord, it's not my happiness that matters. It's not what I want to do that matters. Lord, all that I am, all that I have, I promise you, Lord, the best way I know how right now, I give it all to your lordship and for your glory. Everything I have is no longer mine, it's yours, Lord. My wife is not mine. My children aren't mine. Grandsons aren't mine. My ministry isn't mine. My home's not mine. The money's not mine. I don't have a thing. And Lord, I just want to use it for your glory. And you'll be so glad 10,000 years from today if you do that. Let's pray. Let's pray. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. We're going to pray, and uh, then we'll just dismiss in prayer. We'll just dismiss in prayer after that. But before we do, I just want to give you this opportunity. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior that we talked about there at the end, please do so now. Now, I'd love to know about it. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to to me or out or publicly. It would just be really a nice thing to know. And if you're here and you'd say, you know, Harry, this morning I really am making that decision. I am putting my faith and trust in Christ in Christ alone without bothering anyone in front of you and back of you on your right or left. If you really mean that with all your... Would you just slip your hand up right where you sit and then put it right back down? I just... I want to remember you in a closing word of prayer. If that's on your heart to do that, just slip your hand up saying, yes, this morning I trust Christ alone as my savior. Anybody at all, just slip it up, put it right back down. And for the believer, Lord, here I am. I am totally yours. All that I am ever hoped to be, I am yours, Lord. Please, God. Remember the old chorus we used to sing, be glorified. Be glorified in me. Be glorified through your church, through Austinville Baptist. That's what we want. Let's stand and dismiss, shall we? Our Father, I thank you for your great love, your grace, and your mighty glory. I thank you for the privilege uh, to in some ways speak forth on that subject. And I pray that every heart here, Lord, it would be so yielded to you that this church would be on fire with the glory of God. Thank you for bringing our pastor and wife and family back. We've missed them, and it's great to have them here. Do a great thing through Osterville Baptist this year, Lord. Help us to be yielded vessels for your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen.